2: $25 each.
1: Visit concert concertweek to buy
0: now.
3: That's concert concertweek to buy now. When you think about the
1: future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
2: Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming
4: Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. ATT.
2: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My
2: name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. As you're tuning in today, folks, fellow conspiracy realists, this is the first listener mail of August 2022. Uh, We made it. Folks, this is uh, officially the Conspiracy Stuff Show birthday month for your faithful correspondents, uh, Matt and Noel and uh, whatever they call me. It's Ben. It depends on who they is, frankly. That's fair. That's fair. uh, Yeah. This time we are going to explore. We got a lot of messages. And for me, at least, this drove home. Some of the communication I had recently drove home to me that this is more than a show as as weird as it feels to say it, it's, uh, it's become quite a community and we learn about this. Uh, I, I think every time we do listener mail with all the strange stories and follow ups that we hear from around the world now. So we're going to learn about a black market that you may not expect if you are outside of the auto industry. Uh, we're going to learn about a, Stunning mystery that haunted us for years, decades, uh, that has been solved, asterisk, and you'll see what we mean there at the end. Uh, but first, we're going to have some follow-ups on, uh, <laughs> on the issue of trust and uh, things that are connected to the cloud. In last week's Strange New segment, we discussed how Amazon is snitching. It's snitching on you if you have a ring camera. At least 11 times it's done this. Uh, but that is just the beginning because uh, we recently received um, what I call a tasty email, Noel, uh, mm-hmm. about another danger of smart devices. Very tasty from from an elf, uh, it would seem, mm-hmm. named Keebler, uh,
3: the, the titular elf of cookie fame. Um, hey, guys, you can call me Keebler. Listening to your July twenty-fifth Strange News and the segment about ring cameras being shared with God knows who reminded me of a story I read this weekend on Next Door, itself worthy of an episode Next Door, the hive of the nosy neighbor and the overreactive. Accurate. Uh, There is a June 2021 story on Vox about this, a different bit of smart technology, Nest and their smart thermostats. Uh, The story is that power companies in Texas have been using an app connected to the Nest thermostat to increase their customers' air conditioner settings a few degrees here and there as a way to let them cut power consumption and preserve their too fragile power grid. The culprit is a program called Smart Savers Texas, which enters folks in a $5,000 sweepstakes if they surrender some measure of control to their smart thermostat people were hot about it on next door uh as Uh. people tend to be on next door yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah and also hot uh one complained they had a newborn baby who could not speak up about being too hot another worried about the implications of northern climates in the cold winter so some grist for the conspiracy grinder Thanks all, and I love your show. Uh, thank you, Keebler, for this this hot tip. Uh, I found the Vox article in question from uh, June 21st of last year by Sarah Morrison, how your power company can remotely control your smart thermostat. Um, and as I've mentioned recently, I, I purchased a house, and the previous owners uh, were a bit of a smart home techie nerds, which I am too. I like all that stuff. I have all the Hue bulbs and all of that. I, I have I'd never owned a, a Nest system in my previous uh, rentals because they were rentals. Uh, but this place came pre-installed with one, and it's really cool. Um, it's a, you can you know set it for a schedule to you know have the air fluctuate depending on the time of day, depending on if you're home or not. There's all kinds of ways of doing it. And yes, I understand the implications of all of this connectedness and and cloud uh, capabilities and the you know risk. It may pose to privacy, but I've given all of that up long ago, and I'm I'm happy to live in a a futuristic home, you know, for the privilege of giving away some semblance of privacy. Um, And I'm not that worried about this whole snitching thing. I do do think it's interesting, and there are implications. Uh, I also have a ring situation my girlfriend brought over from her previous place. And my kid, um, who's old enough now to stay home by herself is a fan because she can look at the cameras. uh, We can monitor the cameras, you know, remotely when we're away. Um, Anytime someone's at the front door, you get a notification and you can even talk to the person at the front door when you're not there. So there's some cool things about that. The, the Nest uh, power company, Issue is a very interesting one, um, and presumably it does require some sort of buy in. Uh, but it's, again, maybe one of those fine print kind of situations. The Smart uh, Savers Texas program, it, it accurately um, does involve a sweepstakes where you can win $5,000 off of your energy bill for the uh, the coming year. But a lot of these users didn't realize exactly how much control they were giving um, to the power companies. And so uh, from the Vox article, uh, quote, the idea of a power company turning up your thermostat like a stereotypical electricity bill conscious dad might seem dystopian, but it's also fairly common. There are programs like Smart Savers Texas all over the country, from California to New England. The idea behind them is to decrease power consumption to alleviate stress on the electrical grid and avoid brownouts. Um, since customers aren't likely to volunteer to use less of the power they pay for when they need it most, these programs give them an incentive and the means to do so easily by proxy. Uh, I'm just going to keep going because this is good stuff. Some programs provide better incentives than others. When it launched in 2011, Philadelphia's Smart AC Saver program gave participants a $120 bill credit, which was apparently too generous and was cut uh, to just $40 in subsequent years. But Smart Savers Texas only offers this chance so, for the sweepstakes, you know, to win um, this big prize. And apparently uh, the terms were super vague. Um, so, you know, it's a very interesting terms of service kind of question here when you're entering into this. And also just the fact that it is so easy to just click the box and say, yes, I accept, you know, without actually reading the fine print. And it's one thing if it's like a website or something like that, but it's another thing when, when these things actually infiltrate your home. Um, and it really should give you pause and make you a lot more conscious about reading these types of terms of service. And also, I believe Nest is owned, Nest is owned by Google. Um, you have to use the, uh, the, the Google Home app to control the Nest, which is a little weird Because there's a Nest app, but it makes you use Google Home. So I'm a little confused as to why they both exist. It might just be a legacy thing. Um, So you are kind of probably being monitored, whether it's just, you know, for informational purposes, for statistics, you know, power consumption and all that. But there are kind of far reaching implications for what these kinds of programs could portend for the future. You know, where uh, within the, those terms of services, you could be giving away much more control over these smart devices than you realize without even entering into a sweepstakes of some kind. I don't know. What do you all think? Is this uh, is this the tip of the iceberg? Um, is this the beginning of that slippery slope into, you know, uh, having your thermostat uh, controlled by, you know, some overlord? Or is this just, you yeah. know... Uh, a clever way of trying
2: to reduce strain on the grid, which is technically good for everyone in the long run. Full slip and slide. It's happening. I mean, this is this is another indication of the overall trend toward removing the concept of ownership. Right. The concept of privacy is already uh, an endangered species, and as we pointed out in the past, the modern understanding of privacy. Is itself a pretty recent development. Uh, so it makes sense that people would want to remove the idea of privacy, but also removing the idea of ownership allows you to sell something, but never really give it to the person You give them a service, right? And now you can, now you can have increasing control over how that service is delivered. So I think Next things to happen, we'll see this um, increasingly in autonomous vehicles. There's already in some non-autonomous vehicles, there are complaints about uh, having to pay extra to unlock features that already exist in some cars. I believe uh, BMW is a great example of that, Tesla as well. Um, We're going to see this. Uh, increasingly, I think in consumer electronics, uh, we're already—you know—it's—it's it's very common now for someone to not actually buy a phone because they're pretty expensive uh, for most folks, but instead to get kind of a layaway plan. And then that layaway plan can also be an excellent entry point into uh, into forcing people to have stuff because just like we said with Sesame Credit, remember it was opt-in in the beginning. And this smart thermostat thing is opt-in at the beginning. Uh, that's that's where I think it's headed. I also want to shout out uh, real quick. I sent this story to you guys. We might get to it later on, but I want to shout out uh, my pal uh, Rebel Devil on Instagram, who actually knows one of those eleven uh, people involved in one of those eleven cases where Amazon was snitching. But yeah, no, I think it's. I I don't even think it's the beginning. I think it's. A future that is closer and closer to becoming the present. So I don't blame anyone who says they want to go full analog. Just be aware it's going to be increasingly difficult to do that with each passing year.
1: What what I foresee is a tiered system, much like PlayStation Network just did with their PlayStation Plus program, where you can get the basics. You can, you can have, you know, your utilities, your power and your gas, but we as the company get to control the levels you get to exist within, right? So probably too hot for many people, probably too cold for many people, but at, that, at this base level, you're going to have, you know, you're not going to die, we're gonna keep you alive, <laughs>
3: <laughs> right? It happens and then with if you water pay, too. Thank you, blessed overlord. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. You pay a
1: little more, and those margins come in a little bit closer. And if you pay for the premium, you could do whatever the hell you want with your power and gas.
2: <laughs> but isn't that frightening? Because that's what we're talking about: tiered citizenship. Ultimately, mm-hmm. not in mm-hmm. all but name. So, like, you can do you know who I am. My father is a premium gold medallion citizen and i'll be damned if you talk to me this way in a uh, in, in a baskin robbins <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> interesting
3: well that's an interesting uh, uh reference there ben because with airline Sky miles type programs mm-hmm. is so opaque as to what a a sky mile is actually worth. that's controlled by the company and there's no transparency into what that process is. Um, and you know the miles that you have to earn to get to that next tier, it's also pretty vague. You have like a chart in your app that kind of tells you where you are along the process. They're called MQMs or something like that. Yeah. Uh, with Delta, anyway. Miles. Yeah. Exactly. I'm a silver medallion status person. And, uh, you know, we have friends that work for Delta. And I've been told that is a trash status. Uh, and that, that people that work for the company make fun of people with silver medallion status. I don't even get to go to the Sky Lounge. And I, th- this is through thousands of miles of travel that that work has paid for for the most part you know we're very lucky we get to get those miles for our personal you know accounts but as an individual i never would have spent that much on travel so just the amount you'd have to spend on travel to get that diamond status is is unbelievable uh over time you know And and, and it resets every year so i see what you're saying these are almost like especially with the smart car things you're saying, Ben, it's almost like in-app purchases in either phone apps that are free to play, yes. but, but not the whole thing. You, you, you don't get to yes. unlock all of the little baubles. You, and then, you know, once you're in the ecosystem, you're kind of like eating out of their hand to a degree because that, you don't I get the same experience.
1: Movie. Yeah. you yeah, yes. yeah, waving a to finger.
2: What, what hit you?
1: Imagine if it is a microtransaction system, Look, I, I've been playing a little bit of that Diablo Immortal game, and my God, the microtransactions in that sucker. Uh, but it, heard Im- it's egregious. Imagine, yeah, yeah, it is. But it's still so much fun. It's still Diablo. Uh, oh. it's, uh, oh, I'm addicted. But anyway, Deal imagine paper. if every time you went to your thermostat and you wanted to, like, let's, turn, let's say turn it down one degree to 76 or 75, you had to choose to make that microtransaction at that moment, at that point of sale. where you you get you get one degree if you want two degrees it's gonna be a little more expensive because two degrees right now we're at peak hours so you're gonna have to spend a little more and instead of it just being a monthly thing that gets calculated by the company you are actually seeing it happen and they're overcharging a bit more than they would
2: do you want a signature or classic vote or are we going to go for comfort vote plus today <laughs> that will give you one point have- two of a vote.
1: Mm-hmm. We have two more openings today for yeah, comfort plus vote.
2: Right. You can upgrade to premium vote. Uh that is <laughs> that does count as two votes. Uh premium anyway, doctor. Anyway, yeah, okay. Well, that's all right. That's already a thing. Network out, <laughs> out of network. Yeah. And then, you know, you make a good point, Matt, because tie that in again. Saying this more and more often, nothing exists in a vacuum, despite what headlines seem to indicate. And that's not a ding on journalists. They have to report a narrow scope of a story, right? ideally based on what they can prove. But what we're seeing is already occurring in multiple other ways. One of the huge investment uh, categories right now that does well, even even during economic downturns, is uh, med tech, biotech, medical monitoring. You know, like you might be freaked out if you haven't seen it right now. If you are a user of Chrome, you have a Google account. Many, 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 many people do in the U.S. and abroad. Just go uh, if you want to give yourself just a little bit of a freaky feeling. Then go to your uh, go to your little Google avatar, little thumbnail there in Chrome if you use Chrome, and then scroll down. You'll go to Manage My Account. And you'll see basic info, contact info, blah, blah, blah. And then go to data and privacy, and you will see stuff about Google Fit. You might not have opted into it. Uh, you will have to opt into it, right? But Google Fit will, uh, is, is already set up in the ecosystem. It's already part of your account. It's to manage, like to monitor your, Medical history, or like your well, really your physical habits, right? It's the count my ten thousand steps kind of thing. Um, but you can also see monitoring of this sort on iPhones. This, it's there aren't grand announcements about it that are hitting the public sphere often. Maybe a couple times in a news cycle annually, but you will you will be surprised if you look by just how sophisticated the infrastructure and architecture is for monitoring you right now and it's not because it's not because these companies think of people like pokemon they don't want to collect everyone because it's fun they don't get badges for it they're going to use the information like you said Noel, i've long been on record saying that terms of service are purposely obtuse at this point in many fields that is by design that is the world we are headed toward. And I, I feel like I've got a sandwich board walking and I'm walking around like the end of privacy is nigh or whatever. But if I did that, my sandwich board would be cartoonishly outdated. The end of privacy already occurred quite a while ago. Privacy now is, a, um, is the domain of the very, very well-to-do and people living outside of the bounds of conventional society. Unfortunately, Dude.
1: Ben, I did exactly what you said. And I went to my, my little Google person, uh-huh. went, you know, went through the trees yeah. and I went to uh, manage my location history and I went to things you've done and places you've been clicked on that. Cause that sounds horrifying and it's got your history settings, your uh, maps and timeline places you go when you were there, how you got there. Thankfully, my history was turned off, but there was one location and it was an urgent care I went to I don't even know when but he was in there just hanging out hmm. I don't like this
3: yeah, that's weird. And all the while we've been doing this, I've just been, while well, you guys have been talking, I just saw that I had a critical security alert on my Google account. Uh, there was some suspicious login attempt, and it's like, I don't even know if it was me or not, because you have to change your password so much. It's like, maybe mm-hmm. I just forgot and like tried too many random different passwords, and I registered myself as a, as a security uh, risk. <laughs> um, but just, just to add this, to close this out, Google Nest does have its own program called Rush Hour Rewards. Uh, that are uh, leagued up with different power companies. Um, You know, they vary depending on where you live. So, like, for example, Con Ed in New York offers up to $85 if you enroll. Uh, National Grid uh, is giving out $25 gift cards. And some uh, power companies actually offer discounts uh, for your power bill if you use a smart thermostat. But, again, enrolling maybe gives them some access who knows I, I don't know the details but it does seem like that's certainly possible so there's so much to talk about here as as, as we we've discovered um, i think there might be episode material uh, moving forward but let's take a quick pause uh, have a word from our sponsor and then come back with another piece of listener mail
2: Welcome
1: back. Everyone, we are going to jump to the phone lines and hear a message from Jack.
6: Hey, Matt. Guys, this is Jack calling. Uh, Just listening to your episode on academic journal corruption. And you guys made a passing joke about uh, stealing Honda Civics. And I got a personal story. Um, So about a year and a half, two years ago, I bought a 2016 Honda Civic, and it's the newest car I've ever owned. And at the time, I didn't have a set parking spot in my apartment complex, so I was uh, parking on the street. Well, about a week and a half later, uh, I go out, go grab some KFC, and I notice that my passenger window has been smashed in, and my driver's steering wheel airbag has been stolen. Uh, come to find out, after doing some research into it, the Honda Civics airbag is notoriously easy to remove. There's just two screws that require a basic Allen key. And on the black market, uh, they can fetch upwards of a $1,000. Um, dollars i not sure, Canadian or American. Yeah, so they sell it to these dirty mechanic shops, and they wait for people to come in who have either had an accident uh, and or, in my case, someone has stolen their airbags basically coming in to get a new airbag installed. And half the time, these dirty shops will actually use stolen airbags. So just rinse and repeat. They probably write down people's uh, information to go back and steal it a few weeks later. Anyway, all right. Take care, guys. (laughs)
1: Mm. Oh, boy. So... (laughs) So, Ben, I figured you would have lots to say here. You were the one that brought up Honda Civics are the cars to steal, apparently, and I had no idea. Oh yeah, I really thought it was going to be Odysseys because, I mean, everybody is in the market for those once you have a kid, (sighs) and they're so freaking expensive. Um, It's all the cup holders. (laughs) I know so many cup holders. Uh, So, yeah, Ben, what what do you think about that statement from Jack about airbags specifically?
2: Jack, uh, you are... You are on the money, my friend, unfortunately, and it's something something we explored a little bit many years ago, uh, our pal Scott Benjamin and I on a show called Car Stuff. Yeah, it's it's part of the part of the reason that the Honda airbags are so attractive to thieves and to the dirty shops that often contract out to them. Is uh, it's exactly what you described. But to go a little bit deeper on this, we should all note that one of the reasons that Honda Civics and parts of Honda Civics were stolen so often throughout the past couple decades, actually, is because they didn't have a lot of anti theft technology that would be common mm. in other cars. Uh, it's also because there are already so many Honda Civics out there that there was a demand for the parts. You could easily fence and move them, right? Uh, it'd be gotcha. a lot different, yeah, if you were taking, if you were like, I only steal, uh, I only steal proprietary components of exotic cars. Then the, you know, like the twelve people in your city who own that car are gonna know something's up. You got to feed <laughs> from the larger herd if you're a predator, right? And you got to pick off the weak and the disadvantage. The other thing, I love that you nailed it, man. Um, That airbag is ridiculously easy to take out, which feels great if you're, if you're like doing work on a car, that's awesome because a lot of times, as you know, there can be parts of a car that be a real pain in the butt to, uh, to fix, repair, or, replace but the other thing yeah but
1: safety features i want to be super difficult to take out and put back in like an airbag that's going to explode in my face but it's only attached with two allen yeah. screws
2: <laughs> it makes you think like when when the engineers are brainstorming how many accidents did they think this driver was going to get in they were like this guy needs to replace this thing probably every 3 months we should we you know what we should throw a couple extra in the trunk
3: yeah. Yeah. There's actually a plot about this in uh, the last season of The Sopranos uh, where they're boosting airbags um, and moving them through a uh, a friendly uh, auto shop. Uh, And they talk about getting, you know, one to two thousand dollars for them. And there's even a a thing where one of the mobsters, uh, he's in a sort of a pinch. He sells he takes the one out of his personal car and sells it. And then also gets in a car accident (laughs) and luckily he doesn't die or anything but it, it's something that you know, this is like you know 15 years ago this is something that's been going on for a long time you think they would have made it a little more difficult to get these out it's sort of yeah. like you know the oh. more modern equivalent of stealing car stereos but this Ooh. is even better cuz you don't know that it's been stolen i think that's the idea right you, you put it back and then people just are riding around in death traps that's well, part of it. I th- yeah
1: i think you would notice right if your airbag is stolen
2: you would definitely notice um okay. I, I, I thought boy, maybe we got to put we, it back we, yeah we've got to talk about the um the margins because there are mm-hmm. enormous profit margins here but i'm sure we'll get to that
1: exactly there are enormous profit margins that's why it's happening so much and i just want to go to your point uh noel it is not just back then it's still happening today and it's not just you jack let me jump to a story from WUSA Channel 9. I think that's CBS, uh, the Fight Nine. This is from May 2022. The title is 11 Honda Civics burglarized in string of Airbag thefts in Arlington, police say. So this is Arlington, Virginia. There were in fact 11 Honda Civic airbags stolen, and there are a total of 35 airbags that have been stolen in the area over the course of three weeks. So that's one area that's in May of this year. If we jump back to 2018, there's a story in Carbuzz that cites some serious statistics, guys. I had no idea. <laughs> um, they're specifically talking about Honda Civics and Accords and about stealing airbags, and they jump down to some numbers coming out of the National Insurance Crime Bureau, and they estimate about fifty thousand airbags are stolen every year. Uh, but they don't they don't track trends about like what uh, what model, what maker, model these airbags are being stolen out of. But right. Hondas are specifically targeted for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Uh, that's pretty crazy. In Miami Dade County, this this article says. Thieves stole 875 airbags in
2: 2017. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, another interesting thing, just to talk about some of the math here, fellow uh, fans, of automobiles in the audience might be saying, hey, why is it the driver's side airbag that's being stolen? Because that's overwhelmingly what's getting taken from Hondas. Mm-hmm. It's because it's the most likely to activate in any crash, almost mm-hmm. an altercation. I don't think cars get into altercations <laughs> just yet. Update us, Tesla, but the um, the the idea is you can cut this out without detonating it, right? And like you mentioned, Jack, I'm I'm going to throw some numbers from the U.S. Uh, they might not be one to one with Canadian numbers, but I imagine the margins are pretty close, and that's what we should be looking at. So buying it from the factory, you're looking at thousand bucks, right, uh, give or take, and if you Buy it online without knowing the provenance of it. You can get it for as little as three hundred dollars, like even two hundred dollars or something. If you don't ask too many questions, the cost of replacing this thing plus labor is two to three grand. So you get yes, you are already making hundreds of dollars when you're selling a uh, an old or a stolen airbag as a factory fresh one and then on top of that you charge the labor and then to that other point uh like jack said why not keep the information you know you don't have to get your hands dirty you can just let it be known to a couple of folks who hang out at the shop right uh that uh, there may be some opportunity and that you are paying 300 bucks for airbags no questions asked
3: and just to piggyback on that and then and, and go back to the sopranos grift and the plot line that I mentioned, um, they would uh, further increase their profit margins by taking these um, stolen airbags and uh, putting them in cars that were being repaired in this shop um, that had deployed their airbags and then charge the insurance company for a brand new one. Um, not like the insurance company is going to ask to see the box or something like that, I guess. And that costs double. Yeah, it seems uh.
1: like they will be doing that because insurance fraud specifically in this realm seems to be intense. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, I bet the insurance companies are highly incentivized to to crack down on this. And it's weird to think about that this is all happening around the same time. Do you guys remember, gosh, I want to say it was 2017. Maybe it was earlier than that. Honda specifically, I think, had an airbag recall, and it was something crazy, like mil- millions. I think tens yeah. of millions, maybe 50 million airbags got Ooh. recalled. And if they're not the only company that's had to deal with that. 12 million. 12 million. Geez. Who pays for yeah. that? If you, if you own the car, you take it back to the dealership and they
3: just do it gratis. Like, yeah. uh, like yeah. What, yeah, a what a loss. What a screw up and an <laughs> unimaginable loss. But it also speaks to how much money these uh, companies make that this wouldn't just like bankrupt them.
2: If anybody's interested, check out, check out Car Stuff again. I don't want to plug it too hard. There's also a great episode on uh, how to find a mechanic you trust because. There are, you know, there are unethical mechanics out there who have no compunction about trade on someone that they think they can um, swindle, right? Like, you you can see mm-hmm. all the, like, Just Breaks has gotten in trouble with this. That's a regional chain here in the U.S. Uh, we also see uh, many stories that are, that are easy to prove of someone claiming a part is broken, like maybe an alternator or something they say okay that's what's wrong with your car the alternator's busted but it's not the alternator your alternator is fine you just didn't look under the hood you got a mechanic yeah. to do it and what they do is they take that they take that alternator that works they swap it out they put it in someone else's car and then they sell you a new alternator that they got for wholesale you know what i mean like Dude. there there are a multitude of ways for this to happen so this can be a grift jack you're absolutely right but the question is is it a fatal grift? And that's where I remember learning, Matt, that um, the FBI and the uh, pretty much every traffic safety authority, uh, they don't really track airbag thefts. And I think in the vast majority of times after a crash, if we're trying to figure out whether someone got killed by black market airbags or something, it's kind of tough because there's not really a lot of testing after a crash to say like, hey, is this a legit airbag or does this airbag yeah. look like it was torn out and put in a couple different steering wheels. That just doesn't well, really just, happen.
1: Just imagine how many airbags had to explode when they weren't supposed to explode for a major car company or, you know, airbag company to recall 12 million of their units. There had to be something. There had to be a ton of them before they're like, "Okay, we're going to take that loss." <laughs> Which Absolutely. just baffles my mind. Well,
3: it's a cost uh, risk <laughs> analysis, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
1: How likely are we
3: <laughs> when the when the amount of the lawsuits are going to exceed the amount that they will lose yes. in doing the thing? That's when it happens.
1: That's the thank only you way. Fight Club. And uh, guys, if you're going to you know lube, or if you're going to go to a lube, take your time. Don't don't do it in a jiffy or a spiffy or whatever it is. Just uh, I- take your time with the loop.
3: You know, I, I got to say, I was actually going to bring this up. I recently <laughs> went to a, uh, I went to a take five oil change and they do like a, like a, like a 12 minute oil change. They give you snacks and, and water. And uh, speaking to, to your point, Ben, about finding a trustworthy mechanic, um, you know, oftentimes they'll be like, oh, you need to change your filter, even if you don't. Um, the guy held, he, he pulled my filter out and showed it to me and compared it to a clean one. And mine looked like trash. And I realized I probably had never changed it. So
2: I did it. Yeah, you got to be careful too sometimes because there there are tricks. Again, the majority of mechanics, at least in my experience and from the research I've done, are fine. They're fine. They're great people. And they're going to be honest with you. You just have to to be cognizant of, as much as I abhor the phrase, the few bad apples. So in that case, I'm going to tell you some of the Sith Lord side of this stuff. What you do then is you don't, you, you don't open the hood in front of the customer and pull out the filter. What instead, what you do is you make them go sit in the lobby and you, you take the prop dirty filter that you keep around for cars like that. And you carry it in and say, this is what a clean filter looks like. This is what a, a good filter oh, looks man. like. And we Did can get replace gripted? it. No, no, you probably didn't. You probably didn't. I'm just saying that's how it can work. And, uh, Anyway, it's it's really important to change your air filter. Oh, my God. I'm going, like, dad mode.
1: Yep. Hey, change your much. air filter. <laughs> Jack, everybody, watch out for your airbags, okay? It doesn't yes. matter what kind of car you drive. If you've got yes. an airbag, someone might want it. So I recommend you go read, Why Would Someone Want to Steal My Airbag? by Ed Grabianowski on HowStuffWorks.com. The Grabster. Is how you say Is how you say I think that's how you say his last name. I just know Ed G. But, uh yeah. Go go! read that article, listen to Car Stuff, it's still available, and we'll be right back with more messages from you.
2: and we have returned sorry guys i got sucked back into the oof, cars i was excited, excited about that happening Automobile no it's great it's great uh oh man i miss it they even put on your little mechanic suit
3: you got your pencils in your pocket there and <laughs> your, your air pressure gauge and i mean it was it was it was
2: a thing to behold a real transformation before our very eyes mm. We are vast. We contain multitudes. You know what I it's mean? True. Walt, Walt it's Whitman true. is right. But the uh, okay, so this one, this thing we're closing with today for this listener mail segment comes to us courtesy of many, many of our fellow conspiracy realists. Uh, folks reached out to me directly, Epin Bolin uh, and Epin Bolin HSW on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, folks emailed us at the show. Uh, folks posted on our Facebook group, Here's Where It Gets Crazy, uh, so much so that I had to just choose one person to thank. And this is out of out of all the people we can thank in Australia, as we're going to see, uh, the Australian Battalion of uh, stuff they don't want you to know. I don't like battalion. That's a little militant. Was, Australian you know, battalion? See, Sorry, maybe that's no. what it was. So that you can have a rhyme with it. Um, maybe. And if I say our Australian friends, I sound like a spy. Look, <laughs> all our fellow conspiracy realists in Australia uh, were hip to this, and some of the first people to tell us about it, uh, I want to shout out specifically our longtime listener and dear friend of the show, Simon Workman, uh, Simon oh. actually, yeah, yeah, Simon also reached out and hyped us to this uh, because Simon is awesome. Uh, so thank you to Excellent Simon. Excellent taste
3: in music, that guy. Oh,
2: very much so. Audiophile uh, with no limit. Uh, so Simon, if you're hearing this, we're big, big fans of yours, man, and hope you're doing well. So with thanks to Simon and everybody else, like literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people who sent us the, this story, we can finally say it. The identity of the mysterious Somerton man appears to have been revealed through very clever work and with uh, DNA technology primarily. Researchers have finally solved the case. For a brief recap for anybody who is, doesn't know this case, the Somerton man is a corpse and it's also called the Tamam Chud case. We covered this several years ago a couple of different times in a couple of different ways because up until now, the case seemed incredibly difficult to solve. There was a lot of tantalizing stuff there, that implied tradecraft, depending on how you interpreted it, and then there was a lot of uh, stonewalling. Like, not an active cover-up, just you couldn't find enough to get to the next step. Uh, This body was found on December 1st, 1948, on Somerton Park Beach and could not be identified. Identifying things that would have been useful for investigations at the time were gone. Uh, it's called the Tamam Shad case because of the Persian phrase Tamam Shad, which means "is over" or "is finished." Uh, and it was printed on a scrap of paper in the in a pocket of the guy's pants and had been torn from the final page of the Rubaiyat. So. True crime, tantalizing, mystery, possibly espionage-related. Many, many theories over the years from 1948 to 2002. But as you pointed out, folks, very recently, a guy named Derek Abbott from the University of Adelaide, and pardon my pronunciation there, Aussie friends, please tell us how to pronounce these towns. We all know Melbourne. We got Melbourne right, but Adelaide, I'm stumbling over. Anyway, so Abbott says, that they found the identity of this person. It is Carl Webb, Charles to his friends, an electrical engineer and instrument maker, born in Melbourne in 1905. They found this by using DNA sequencing. Uh, and the way that they did the DNA is also really interesting because they didn't take it directly from the corpse. They took it from like a plaster death mask. And you guys... Like I, I think we all remember some of this, uh, some of the ins and outs of this thing. Uh, Professor Abbott has been working on this since March of two thousand and nine, uh, and he he found things like uh, assumptions police had made in the case. He found different ways to look at objects that were found with the body, such as particular brand of cigarettes, or excuse me, the cigarette packet itself. Was a cheaper brand, but there were nicer cigarettes inside, right? Curiouser and curiouser.
1: I mean, I remember just all this speculation about him being a spy because of little details like that. I mean, the cryptic message that was mm-hmm. what, as you mentioned, was found. But then just to take cigarettes that are better and put them in a cheaper pack, why would you do that unless you are trying to blend in in some way or trick people into
2: thinking mm-hmm. you don't have as much money?
1: There's just oh, so much speculation there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, of course, things like tags torn from clothing so you can't really identify the brand, um, all, all, all sorts of stuff about the autopsy. <sighs> so he has been, since 2009, he being Abbott, has been trying to get like the body exhumed. Law enforcement and the professor and his team kind of met in the middle, and the police eventually gave Abbott strands of the man's hair that had been trapped in a plastered death mask the police made of the Somerton man's face in the 1940s uh, when the body was discovered. And then he and his team worked to build out a family tree. So they had the DNA information, right? But your genetic identity does not come with the things human society puts on you, like a name. You know, you don't you, you don't have uh, Jack or Keebler or Simon Workman in your DNA. That's just what everybody has agreed to call you. And so they did, they had this DNA, and that's a really unique thing to have, right? But now they have to search the field, and so they had already kind of had the name Web in there. They've already clocked it because as they were trying to get this DNA information, they had already built out this family tree of 4,000 different names and possibilities, narrowing it down to this Webb character who had always been interesting to them because this guy, Charles Webb, did not have a date of death on record. They were able to track down a first cousin three times removed on his mother's side, they say, And uh, July 23rd of this year, they matched DNA from one of those tested decades old hairs, more than half a century old hairs, and they matched it to one of Webb's distant living relatives. So the odds against it, the odds against it not being Webb are enormous now, right? It's pretty much pretty clear that this is the guy. For a lot of people, this investigation satisfies their belief, or, you know, satisfies their burden of proof. But why do we say it's an asterisk, it's a mystery-solved asterisk in the beginning? Well, it's because um, knowing who the person is is huge and hopefully a very worthwhile closure for the family, but um, we don't really know what he was doing, right? Like, if if you saw a mystery person who was dead in your neighborhood, in your street, and the police investigated, and they said, "Oh, yeah, it turns out this guy's name is Patrick Flanagan." Okay, case closed. Uh, you would probably still like say, "Well, why was he here, though?" That's an Irish. How did he guy. die? Yeah, how did he <laughs> die? Uh, why? Why does? Why did he have a, a a horse saddle and a riding crop with him? There are no horses around here, you know, like all this weird stuff.
1: Yeah. There's something interesting in the CNN article that at least that's how I found out about this, Ben. Abbott mentions that if this person, Webb, is in fact the Summerton man, that that person that they've identified, Webb, really likes to bet on horses, right? And they're like, they're thinking that that has something to do with why that stuff was there. And the remember the weird letters or like the codes it looked mm. like code or something, but it was just strange letters. There were some of them were marked out. you yeah. are thinking that has something to do with horse betting.
3: Hmm. Yeah. It's, I think it's, right it's like M-M-T, but it, it's, it looks like M-T-B-I-M-P-A-N-E-T-B. Mm-hmm. Like what, what, what could these be? That's not a horse name.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I
3: just think it'd be more numerical if it was like keeping track of races and wins and losses or horses names or something. There's another one that says like M-L-I-A-B-O, like none of these. Maybe it's, co- maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's some kind of cipher that like to keep uh, his secret sauce a secret
2: or something. I don't know. And what if the secrecy, what if the secret sauce was just, you know, the horses he was planning on betting on? And he didn't want anybody exactly. looking over his right. shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right?
3: That's, that could be. Maybe there's extra letters or it's, no, nah, I don't know. It's, there's, there's, it's all capital letters. There's no, I don't know what the code would be, but who knows? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, the body was, by the way, uh, eventually exhumed in May of 2021. So they did, they weren't uh, at this point going entirely just on the death mask. though. The hair from that does seem to be the proof. So with this, you know, one of the questions we have to ask now is how solved is this? What was um doing uh, according to conclusions that we can see in, in things like that CNN article? The idea is that he was not, in fact, a spy, as tantalizing, as interesting as that is. Instead, he was a guy who died one day alone on a beach. If that is, you believe, the official conclusion. Because it's it's hard to 100% close the door on that for a lot of people. You know what I mean? It's true.
1: It's like the guidestones. If we know the real story, the mystery is all gone. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think we unfortunately have a relatively uh,
3: plausible answer for that one. And it's not a particularly good dude, but, uh, you
2: know, it is what it is. Well, it's also... It reminds me of the time um, I was talking to a Bigfoot investigator who eventually said, it gave me the strong impression that they didn't actually want Bigfoot to be found. For them, it was kind of about the journey, you know? Yeah, that's certainly, I subscribe to that. I mean, what if you find cases. him, he's got regular feet. That's kind of a letdown.
3: Mm-hmm. Or he's it's, like a
2: racist. You know, I mean, what, what do you, what do you find? Or he's insufferable about something. He's one of those, yeah. he's one of those well, actually people or he's, oh God. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe we're all better not meeting Bigfoot because, you know, they say never meet your heroes. Right. But uh, yeah, <laughs> this, this does show us something really important. This is what I wanted to end on. I think it's a point that we can maybe all appreciate here and something we can take away from. Uh, this story. So, one, especially now and going forward, mysteries that were once considered unsolvable are no longer impossible to crack. Summer to Man, the original Night Stalker, or the EAR, as he was also called, was found. Uh, and then we can, secondly, say that because humans are the stories they tell themselves, it can be easy to fall into the most exciting explanation even when that's not the case, because people like exciting things. People don't like being bored, right? Uh, so this is, this is an example of a hard work, an investigation that just followed the truth, did not try to impose a narrative, right? Or a, uh, for lack of a better word, a sexier ending to the story. So thank you to Professor Abbott and the team. Thank you again to everybody who reached out us regarding this i can't wait to hear from you hope all is well down under and uh perhaps most importantly want to hear your ideas about other so-called unsolvable mysteries that you think may be solved in the future what are they uh hopefully they're obscure hopefully there's stuff we haven't even heard about on the show can't wait to hear from you thanks of course to Simon, thanks to everybody who wrote it about Somerton. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to you, Keebler, uh, for that disturbing dystopian cookie of smart surveillance. Uh, if you want to take a page from their book, then uh, why not? The time is now. Contact us. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on
3: Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and you can find us on uh, what's it called? The YouTubes. That's it. Uh, We exist in all of those places that they handle conspiracy stuff on Instagram where conspiracy stuff show.
1: If you don't like social media, why not consider giving us a phone call like Jack did? By the way, uh, Jack's full moniker is Jack Kelly. And I really thought Jack was just giving us his full name. Then I realized it's an always sunny reference. And I feel yeah. really oh, wow. dumb. I'm Jack tight.
2: Kelly. I'm a lawyer.
0: We uh, were talking about wow. big
2: feet. We should be talking about big <laughs> hands, right, Jack? <laughs> Seriously.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, you can give us a call just like Jack. Our number is one 833 It's super easy. You've got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname. We don't care what it is. Say whatever you'd like. We do ask that you include whether or not you give us permission to use your name and voice on the air. Really, that's it. Those are the only rules. Unless you've got more to say than can fit in that three minutes. Because in that case, you should instead send us a good old-fashioned email.
2: We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.